Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Good afternoon, everyone. As you hear the title of my message, Who is a Christian? Are you a Christian? I hope so. As you, as you will look at this globe, the map of this globe, and especially at its population, you know, we have around, I don't even know, I lost the track, but somewhere, I would say now it's between 8 or 9 billion people, or maybe you are over 9 billion people. How many? 7.6 billion people. So between 7 and 8 billion people. And out of the 7, or between 7 and 8 billion people, it's just a few billions of people that call themselves Christians. And if you just pull out of this few billion people, you know, people who worship God or who call themselves Christians and the way how they worship God in many different ways, in many different doctrines, in many different beliefs, if you just pull each single one of them, let's say at least five people, and ask them the same question, who is a Christian, I can bet you that you will get five different answers. Five different answers. Why is that important? You know, because sometimes when I was in the church at the beginning, I was confused. You know, there is so many good people around us. There are so many wonderful people that don't come to church with us. Are they Christians? Can we find the answer? Is the Bible very specific to define the term who is a Christian and who is not a Christian? And in the long run, does it really matter? Why you wanna why you why you wanna bring something gen you know controversial that you know we have to divide people you know and and get into this debate who is and who is not a Christian, you know just think for a moment, if all of this billion billion of people that are around us right even though they call themselves Christians, we know one thing for sure. It's impossible that all of them are right. Make sense? It's just impossible that all of them are right. What if just few of them are right? It means that the rest of them are wrong. Make sense? Let's think of the consequences. When I came to church, when all the wars started, that I abandoned my family, I abandoned my tradition, I was told by my brothers and my mom and my dad that the Bible or whatever is not important. Your family tradition is very important. You follow the religion in which you were born into. Just think for a moment. That's what I got. This thing makes sense. So if you're born Catholic, you're Catholic for life. If you're born Orthodox, you're Orthodox for life. If you're born Protestant, no matter what the denomination this is it. You're Presbyterian for life. You're Baptist for life. You're not allowed to change your religion. Is that true? Is that what the Bible says? Do we have to bring these questions up just to see who is a Christian and who is not? What were the Christians called first in the Bible before they actually were called Christians? Anyone remember? Before anyone called them Christians, they had a different name. You know what it is? Anyone can remember? The way. 
Let's go to Acts chapter 9. Book of, book of Acts chapter 9. And just think about the significance. If somebody, a group of people is called the way. What does it mean? What, what would the first thing that should come to your mind? If somebody is called, oh, we are from the way. Where do you belong? Oh, we are the way. Way. Think about it. Book of Acts chapter 9 verse 1. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciple of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogue of Damascus so that, so that if he found who were of the way, who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them around to Jerusalem. Of the way. See how significant it is? Off the way. When you think about the way, you just can't help it, but, you know, right away into my mind comes the scripture that is Matthew chapter 7. So just please go to Matthew chapter 7. And we all know that. Matthew chapter 7, and right here in verse 13, when he's speaking about the way, it's interesting here how the gospel and Matthew, what Christ says about the way. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many. There are many who go and buy it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way. Narrow and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Many and few. Many and few. Just apply this few verses here in Matthew to today's word. In Christianity particularly here. There are many who are on a broad way. The least of distractions. Out of these many, there are only few that walk actually on this called the way of life. Few. Many and few. So one more time, if we think about the way, I belong to the way. What is your group call? Oh, I'm the way. What do you think about it? What comes first to your mind? What these people were? Why they were called the way? See, they were different than anybody else. Different. Different than all the sect of Judaism at that time. Pharisees, Sadducees, and you name it. They were totally different. They were strict followers of a specific person. Strict followers of a specific way, namely Jesus Christ and his teaching. Jesus Christ and his teaching, no one else. Jesus Christ and his teaching. And as we get to read Bibles today, it's not as controversial. It's not as, you know, revolutionary statement we read because we are born into it. But if you transfer yourself to the first centuries AD, when you read some of the passages, there were revolutionary statements. There were offensive. There were offensive statements to the other people, and especially to the Jewish believers. They were very offensive. They were not afraid of them. 
You know, as they proclaimed this revolutionary statement, revolutionary statement at the time, what I'm talking about. The way, the first what they did, what they proclaimed about the Jesus Christ to be their Messiah. Think about it. Jesus Christ to be the way and to be the Messiah. That was the first revolutionary statement. Open to the book of Acts again, chapter 4. And again, look from the first centuries A.D. when this actually book was written. Not from our point of view. Just try to imagine yourself. You are walking in the first, you know, A.D. among the Jewish believers there. Or even today, or even today, if you consider all the religions that exist on this globe. Book of Acts chapter 4. And look at verse 12. Just break into the context here. Look at this. Imagine making a statement like that as a Christian. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Is this offensive to you? This verse of the Bible is offensive to many religions today. Yet at the same time, the Christians trying to find a common ground with other existing religions. How? Just by this verse alone, it's impossible. Because there is no any other name except Jesus Christ. No any other name. No Muhammad, no Buddha, no any other. Period. That's it. You see how radical statement that was? Imagine reading verse like that if you belong to the, one of the Jewish sects. There is no any other name but you must be saved. You're talking to me, my God cannot save me. I need Jesus Christ to do all this thing for me. Just think about it. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we look at verse 9 and 10. Verse 9 and 10, chapter 2. Therefore God also has highly exalted him, Jesus Christ, and gave him name which is above every name. No one else, above every name. Verse 10. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And every... Tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Think about it. You want to share your beliefs with the Muslims? You want to come together with your beliefs with Buddhists or any other religions? Think about it. No. Why? Because they all going to bow to Jesus Christ. This is what my Bible says. How we can, how we can compromise something so simple like here? If we want to call ourselves the way, if you want to call ourselves Christians, Christ-like, Christ followers, how can we? Point number two about the radical statement that the way, the people who belong to the way they made in the first century right there. That, you know, it's so strange for today Christianity. They were all followers of Torah. All of them. They were followers of Torah. There was no such thing as a New Testament back then. 
Não tem, cara. Acts chapter 17. And it's such a radical view for today Christianity. Oh, they were observants of the Torah. What changed? What happened later? And suddenly to the movement that, you know, you don't have to do anything. Just, to, just believe. Just believe and love. Nothing else is important. Commandments are burden. God is not legalistic. Book of Acts chapter 17. And look at verse 10 here. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. And these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. In that they received the word with all readiness. They received the word with all readiness. So they were able to listen, what they had to say. And search the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. What scriptures did they, did they search? What scriptures did they search? Did they have the Gospel of Matthew at the time? Did they have the book of Revelations at the time? Did they have the, book of, the, the letter of the, to the Philippians or to the Romans or to the Corinthians at the time? No, what scriptures they were searching daily to find if all the claims about Jesus Christ were true? They had the Torah and the Hebrew Bible. Later, or Second Timothy chapter 3. You all know these verses. It's just a like, quick review. Second Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3. Verse 16. All scripture is given by the inspirations of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be complete, totally equipped for the good work. Most of the time, Paul is speaking here about the Old Testament. Because the New Testament wasn't even canon. It wasn't even ready yet. It wasn't even compiled into the set of books that we have today. So the first followers were strict, strict observants of the Hebrew Bible, the Torah. Very dedicated, very committed to the Bible and to the name of Jesus Christ. Another point that was very revolutionary at that time. Jesus Christ as the way. Think about it. Jesus Christ as the wisdom of the Torah. Think about it. Jesus Christ as the way. Imagine to what to such a high degree that the Jewish people hold the Torah. And now suddenly they say, Jesus Christ is the wisdom of the Torah. Think about the statement. Go to John chapter 1. Because when you read, we get to the gospel, you just read it and just fly over us. Like, you know, like, yeah, that's great. It's awesome. John chapter 1. You all know the verses. John chapter... The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1. Think of, the, think of these verses here. That somebody in the first century would be sitting in a synagogue, and somebody reads to them like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Think about it. For us, it's nothing today, yeah? We all believe it, we all know it. Many Christians would have agreed to it. Call themselves Christians, right? 
Think about back then. Verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. Imagine if you're a Jew. Sitting and listening to this word. It would be very offensive. Many of us would probably stand up and just walk away. Because we'll be sick of, you know, listening to something like that. Verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Do you realize what you're reading here? How crucial, how important that was for the first Christians to say that Jesus is the wisdom of the Torah. He's the Logos. It's great. John chapter 14. John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, look at the gratitude of these words. I am the way. I am the truth. And the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, You know him and have seen him. Can you for a second just just comprehend what, what, what he said here? To the first century audience that would listen to this message. I am the way. Jesus Christ claiming I am the way. I am the true. And I am the life. Revolutionary statement. John chapter 10. John chapter 10 verse 7. Then Jesus said to them again. Most assuredly I say to you. I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Verse 9, I am the door. I am the door again and again and again. And anybody who came before me and is trying to claim the same thing is what? And a thief and a robber. How are we going to line up this verse with all the religion that exists around this world? And how are we going to compromise your faith just saying, you know, we need to start some ecumenical council with the Muslims. So we're going to come together on the same page. Either Muhammad is the way or either Jesus is the way. You can't compromise these two things together. There is no way you can compromise something. What our Messiah say, I am the way. And you follow it. And not just I'm the way, I'm the life. Brethren, there are many leaders who came and gone. There have been many leaders. 
There are many leaders to point something. There are many leaders who walk this earth and they pointed to somebody. They pointed to Buddha. They pointed to something. They pointed to the way. There is only one person who says, I am the way. And that person is no one else but Jesus Christ. I am the way. There is no any other way. I am the way. So, first thing, they were called way. Later on, you can find in the book of Acts, they were called Christians. Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11 and verse 26. And, we, when, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. From the way to the Christians, to Antioch. Also, we can see the same Christians, term Christians, also appear in the book of Acts chapter 26. If you flip it over to chapter 26. And here in verse 28, chapter 26, book of Acts chapter 26 and verse 28. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuaded me to become a Christian. So this term Christian became a well-known term back then, a Christian. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, this term Christians also appear there. So 1 Peter chapter 4, if you want to look at it, or you just want to write it down, but it's good to look at it. 1 Christians chapter 4, 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter was a Christian. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 16. If anyone suffers as Christian, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, if you suffer because, you know, you claim to belong to the way, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in this matter. Just glorify God. If somebody persecutes you because, you know, you are real, real Christian. So what is the definition now? How would you define Christianity? We talk a little bit about the way. Now let's move on to a Christian. How would you define Christian? What is the Christian? What is the term Christianity? So I checked different dictionaries just to see, just, just you know, being curious just to see what, it, what I'm going to find there. So there are all kinds of variety of different definitions. So I kind of like uh, put them together. So most dictionaries will defend this term as a person professing belief in Jesus as the Christ or in the religion based on the teaching of Jesus. As I look at these definitions, yes, to some degree, you know, they cover some most part that are true. But this is not a full definition of what Christian is all about, what Christianity is all about. It's a good starting point, but brethren, when you're talking about the followers of Christ, you know, the way they were called Christians because everything, their behavior, their activity, their speech, 
everything about the conduct, they try to be as close as they can to their master, Christ himself. Being Christ-like. That's what it's all about. Being Christ-like. If you want to be a Christian, just be like your master. If you want to belong to this way, follow exactly what Jesus Christ did. And over the time, as you can see, this, the, defini- the definition of this Christianity was just the water down. Now, if you just go to church at any time, at any moment, no matter for how long, people say, oh, yeah, this guy is a Christian, or this lady is a Christian. Oh, look at this person. He, this person's got such a, more, 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 got such a high moral standard. Must be a Christian. That's what we get today, right? So, the title of a message... Who is a Christian? I think it's easier to asking who is a Christian maybe to ask a different question. How can you become a Christian? If you're going to find out in the Bible how can you become a Christian, that is better to look around it and define and see who is a Christian and who is not a Christian. It makes a lot more easier. So how can you become a Christian? You know, we are used to, we are living, we live in North America. Everything is about choices. Everything is about choices. I decide what TV I buy, I decide what car I'm going to drive, I decide what kind of apps I'm going to download. You know, it's my choice what kind of program I'm going to watch on TV, is what, you know, everything is about choices. If I don't have these choices, then you know life is boring. Because, you know, some choices were taken away from me. You know, the concept of democracy, the North American, the North American democracy. You know, people have something in their mind that, you know, they can pick and choose what religion they want to follow. I can just get up today and say, you know, hey, wow, this is a beautiful book. Look at this. It's got a nice leather cover. Jesus is a nice name. I think I'll be Christian. It's my choice. I can pick and choose. And I decided to be a Christian today. Is that what the Holy Bible says? How we become a Christian? Let me give you four points. Very easy. We all, we all should know them, right? How we, become the, how, we, how we become a Christian? Point number one. By personal invitation from God alone. There is no way you can walk out and say, you know, I love this religion. I want to become a Christian. It doesn't work like that. You need to receive a personal invitation from God himself. Let's go to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Again, we all know the nice beautiful verses here. John chapter 6 and verse 44. No one, no exceptions, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. One verse, one verse alone. No one. No one can come and I will raise him at the last day. So much, so much compacted into the one single verse. But what I want to draw your attention to this word here, draw, in English. 
draw. They have electronic devices. You can click it at the Greek word. The Greek word is, I don't know how to pronounce it, so I'll just try to spell it for you. H-E-L-K-U-O. H-E-L-K-U-O. Elkuo. I don't know how to pronounce it, so my apology. But as you look at this dictionary, as you look in the dictionary, what this word means, just basically, basically means to drag. To drag. Like you call the nets to the water. I'll show you some other meaning. To drag something. And I'll, I'll show you some other verses when this word appears in the New Testament. John chapter 21. John chapter 21. John chapter 21 and verse 6. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So the disciples were fishing all night. They couldn't do anything. There was no fish. Jesus says, I want you to do this. Cast your nets. So they cast. And now they were not able to draw the same word. The draw, to drag. They were not able to drag it because of the multitude of fish. Let me give you another one. Book of, Book of Acts chapter 16. Book of Acts chapter 16. And in verse 19. Paul and Silas here, kind of like arrested here. Chapter 16 and verse 19. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them. You see, that's the word again. It's the same Greek word. And dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. When you are dragged, when you are in the net, how much personal freedom you got there. What options you have there. You just follow it, wherever the net is dragged. Like here in this example, Paul and Silas. can't just go wherever they want to. They just go when they are dragged. What I'm saying, you can't come to God unless the Father was going to send you a special private invitation. And you need to respond to it. If God does not initiate, there is no way that you're going to find it. There is no way that you're going to find it. Only thing, you respond to God's invitations. You know, at one moment, no matter how long you've been in Christ, how long you've been following the truth, at one moment, at one moment, at one time in your life, you were a sworn enemy of the Lord. You were. It's just a matter of fact. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And in verse 10, Romans chapter 5, verse 10. For if, for if, if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We were all enemies to God. Why Jesus needs, why God needs to send us invitation? Why? Because you know what? We are not capable. We as a human being is not in us. To just go and wake up one day and say, you know, like, 
Ask millions of people. Who's got the desire in the morning when they wake up and I'm going to wake up today morning and I'm going to search why I was born? What is my purpose here on this earth? What I need to do? What most people do when they get up in the morning? Is that really your number one priority in your mind? Then I'm going to find what the truth is. I'm going to have to go and do research just to find what is the purpose of my life. Is that how it works? How many of us have this heart? If God, if God doesn't get in and call your attention, invite you, forget it. We just don't have it in us to come and say, hey, Father, I'm here. I know you're the only one. Go back to John chapter 6, last time. In this point, John chapter 6. And in verse 65. And he said, one more time. Therefore, I have said to you, once, and I'm repeating the second time. That no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. There you go. Second time. Jesus repeats in the same chapter. If you missed the first time, I'm telling you. It's impossible for you to come unless it's been granted to you by my Father. So simple, and yet so many people missed it. Like I was told. You know, when you are born into this religion, it's your duty to follow the family tradition. Really? And I would follow the family tradition if God wouldn't actually invite me. If God wouldn't break this, so to speak, stupid mind and say, you know, Jen, I want you to, you know, have a little bit different idea about the outlook of life. And here is why. It took a little bit. But eventually, you know, we all have story to, to tell, to share when it comes to moments like that. So what happened when you receive the personal invitation and you accept it? What's the next point? How you come? How you become a Christian? So what's the point number two? What do you have to do? What do we have to do, young people? What's the next step? Repentance. Repentance. What would be the biblical definition of repentance? Some people say it's easy. Just turn from sin. This is all about repentance. Really? Oh, it's way more than that. How can you just repent? You know, how can you just repent? You were going this direction all your life. I was going all just one direction alone. And now suddenly I need to repent of whatever I was doing. What I was doing was everything good. How can you repent? You can't repent until God's going to change the way how you operate. God, God needs to get into your brain and says, you know what? The way that you were following is wrong. I want you to turn around and walk the other way. God needs to replace your software. Because you're incapable of doing all these things. You need to change your outlook of life. Before you repent of your sin. Because you know what? When it comes to repentance, before you know what sin is. You have to come to the point that say like, wow, God. I was, I was, I was breaking every possible thing. And I didn't know it. And now I know. Your philosophy, your outlook, your software, everything that is up here has got to be turned around. Once it's turned around, then you can go 
Now I know what I have to repent of. Now I know and have understanding what the sin is. Book of Acts chapter 2. Thank you, Brother Landon, for reading the scriptures for us. We'll go back to chapter 3, verse 36. Just a few verses here. Packed up with so much information here. Book of Acts chapter 2. So now remember, Peter is speaking to a Jewish believer. They have an idea what's in the Torah. 36, 34. Acts, book of Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Think about it. The implications of the words, the power of the words that Peter was speaking of the day of Pentecost. Addressing the audience. He is the Lord. He is the Christ. And you have crucified him. You kill him. And now when they heard this, they were caught to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? There it is. Peter is. And Peter said to them, Repent. What they have to repent of? What they have to accept? Something they didn't know. Something they crucified. They have to change their mind. They have to change the outlook. The person... The Messiah actually came. His name was Jesus Christ. We crucified him. Now we have to accept him. Now we have to accept him. If we don't accept him, there is no such thing as remission, as repentance. Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. No Jesus, no remission. You Torah cannot save you. No matter how good and how well you know it, no matter how many verses you can quote from the book of Deuteronomy, if you don't accept Jesus Christ, this thing is useless for you. Think about it. That's how powerful words these are. You're in only with the Jesus Christ. If you don't have Jesus Christ, you can be in. You shall, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off. As many as the Lord our God will call. How many wonderful truths here in this, you know, three or four verses here. Compacted again. Just to unpack. This repentance. It's huge. But it starts with Jesus Christ. Repentance cannot start with Jesus Christ. We'll go back to chapter 3. Book of Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Well, let's skim quickly so from some of the book of Acts here with this word repentance. But those things, no, verse 19. Repent, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. If there is no Lord, there is no repentance. Even repentance, it's called in the book of Acts as a gift. It's something that God is granting us as a gift. 
It can just come from my own thing. Like, yeah, I just feel today, you know, I was stealing, I was lying, I'll live my life like that. But today I feel like, you know, I'm going to repent today. It's impossible. God needs to call you and grant you this gift of repentance. Uh, Acts chapter 11, speaking about gift. And verse 18, book of Acts chapter 11 and verse 18. When they heard these things, they become silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentile repentance to life. What a wonderful thing. The Gentile can come into the relationship with the house of Israel through the new covenant. Finally, for the first time, they can become a worshiper of a true God through the covenant that God made with Israel. What a wonderful, beautiful thing. Book of Acts chapter 17. And verse 30. Book of Acts 17 and verse 30. Truly, these times of ignorance got overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the men whom he has ordained. And he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Again, we come Jesus Christ. Everything is linked together. It's a beautiful picture. You can have repentance without Jesus Christ. You can have repentance without Jesus Christ. We can have it if the God's not inviting you. And... Book of Acts chapter 20. Repentance in faith, kind of like, you know, they always go together. Book of Acts chapter 20 and verse 21. And just breaking, in, breaking into the context here. Verse 21. Testifying to Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Just again and again. All of this. Go into one package together. And, you know, it's crucially important that, you know, people accuse us that we try to earn our salvations by, you know, doing the work. Not, that, that, that's the furthest things from the truth. It's, in, it's impossible to earn our, through our, you know, to our, that, you know, it's impossible to, through our hard work to earn God's salvation. It is impossible for me to say, God, you know, I live, you know, Sinful life, but now repented of everything, and I'm a sinless man, and you need to grant me eternal life. You're obligated to give me this gift now. It's impossible. It's impossible. Now, what's the next point? So we need to receive an invitation. We need to respond to it. Then we need to repent. What's the next point? What's the third point? Water baptism. Water baptism by fully, by be fully immersed in water. And I don't have time to go all these details, but we all know it. That's the only way. Now, I heard, I heard in our churches that water baptism is not something important. It's your faith. It's about your faith. So water baptism, you know. It's some like, uh, I forgot now, see, how was it worded? Like you earn to 
you try to earn the salvation by, you know, being water baptized, right? So his water baptism is fully optional. You know, it's not just about if I have this faith, if I have this full faith and love for our God, then, you know, what's the big deal that I need to go in this ritual that I need to go and be submerged in a water? Is this biblical? Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Let's see. Water baptism is optional in the Bible. Matthew chapter 28. Verse 19. There are many other scriptures. But I'm just, just going to give you the one. Matthew chapter 28. Go therefore and make disciples. 28.19. Matthew 28.19. And make disciples of all nations. What's next? baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have, that I have commanded you. All things, the part of all things is water baptism. Can't avoid it. Can't avoid it. It's so important that even Apostle Paul was baptized. Book of Acts chapter 9. Book of Acts chapter 9. And verse 17 and 18. Book of Acts chapter 9. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight. And be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. And he received his sight at once. And he arose. And was baptized. Apostle Paul was baptized. And some people for some reason would say that water baptism is optional. It's not a big deal. Yes, it is a big deal. It's commanded by our master. If you want to be part of the way. And you follow Jesus Christ. And you can go and find the scripture. Even Jesus Christ was baptized himself. By himself. He was baptized. By John the Baptist. To show an example to all of us. Is it optional? I don't think so. What's the meaning of baptism? Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And verse 3 to 5. Romans 6 chapter 3. Or do you not know? Romans chapter 6, 3 and 5. Do you know, or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be the likeness of his resurrection. Just as you go underwater, symbolically, when your flesh gets dirty, you wash your hands underwater, or you're going to take a bath or take a shower. This is exactly the same thing. And on top of that, when you go 
under the water. And also, you do it in front of the witnesses. So when the witnesses are gathering around there, whether it be a pool or the lake or the ocean, doesn't matter. You're also saying at the same time to the people around you, you say, now we have the right to hold me accountable. Because I am becoming part of the body. And the job of the body is to take care of one another and to love one another. You are the witnesses today that what I'm doing here today, I'm going to live for the rest of my life. I'm going to become an overcomer. I'm going to become as my master, Jesus Christ, to the end, to the, to the end of my death, whatever it might take place. And you are the witnesses, everyone. This is my promise, and this is my commitment. What's the next point? How we become a Christian? What's the last one? You become baptized. You come off the water. What's the next step? Lying on of hands to receive the Holy Spirit. And many Christians dismiss this. Total observance. Oh, this is not important. Water baptism, yes, okay, I can see it. But this ritual, it has nothing to do with the Bible of the love of Jesus Christ. Really? Let's check it out. Book of Acts chapter 8. Let's check it out. It's got some biblical validity. Book of Acts chapter 8. Book of Acts chapter 8 and verse 14. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as, for as yet he had fallen upon none, none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Think about it. They've been baptized in the name of of the Lord Jesus by the Holy Spirit have we received yet. Why? And when, and, and when, when they lay, laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit, is it optional? Is anywhere in the Bible that says is it optional? No, it's not. It's a critical, important component how you can become a Christian. Why do you need the Holy Spirit? Without Holy Spirit, we are nobodies. We are part of 9 billion people or 8 billion people, between 7 and 8 billion people. We are just part of it and nothing else. We are just human beings. Why would God need to give us a Holy Spirit? Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36. And verse 26. I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh. And give you a heart of, and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk 
in my statutes and you will keep my judgment and do that. Why do we need God's Holy Spirit? Why do we need God's Holy Spirit? So we can speak in tongues? So we can perform miracles? So we can be different? So we can be holier than thou art? Why did God give us Holy Spirit? So we can keep His law. Nothing complicated about it. That's it. God's Holy Spirit enable us to keep God's law. And you know, I always challenge people. When you talk to people and they say they're Christians, just mention to them, are you keeping God's law? And you will, you will hear the response from them. Most people will say, oh, law, what are you talking about? God's law, we don't have to keep anything. But if you're a child of God, you have to reverence for God's law. Why? Because you have God's Holy Spirit. That's what it is. When we receive that, when happens something like that? Jeremiah chapter 31. Let's go back. Jeremiah chapter 31. Because we are so special. We are different than anybody else. Jeremiah chapter 31. And I know that all these points, you know, I'm, I'm trying to run it quicker because there is no time for it, right? Because for every point there you can have a sermon about repentance and baptism and lying on hands. And I know Pastor Murray did something lying on hands and, you know, Pastor Agent did about repentance and on and on and on. So it's just a quick summary of all the points. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33. But this is the covenant. We're talking about the new covenant, right? Most people say, what's the new covenant all about? They have no idea what the new covenant is all about. But this is the new covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After the day, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write on it and write on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Why need God's Holy Spirit? Exactly for this reason, this reason alone. God wants to circumcise your heart. So will be able, enable you. To appreciate God's law and keep it as much as you can. That's why God gives you the Holy Spirit. And now, if we got, as I said, if you have this God's Holy Spirit, it's impossible. There will be educated people who try to sort through this book and read through this Bible. Will never ever, never ever to gather all this truth that is inserted here. Why? Because they don't have God's Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm not making it up. It's right here in the Bible. It's in your Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter 2 verse 11. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. If you want to know what's happening, if you want to know what, God's, what plan God has for you, you need to have God's Holy Spirit. If you don't have it, you cannot know. It. If you don't have God's Holy Spirit, if you don't have God's Holy Spirit, Romans chapter 8. As I said before, if you don't have it. You're nobody. 
Romans chapter 8. And verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed, if indeed, the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. How we belong to Christ? Through his spirit. How we get his spirit? You've got to go through the steps. So, brethren, this is what I think, what I can find, the biblical way, how you can become a Christian. How you become a Christian? Point number one, you have to have a personal invitation from God. You have to respond. How you respond to this personal invitation? Through what? Repentance. Right? Why don't you turn around and try to walk? Towards God, God's way, then you take water baptism. Once you come up from the water, what's the next steps you have to do? Lying on hands, so you can receive God's Holy Spirit. And now, after all these steps, now your journey become to become an overcomer, finish the race. Are you a Christian? This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.